As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I am your host. This week's guest I have on Rich Heller, who is known as a relationship fitness coach and mediator. So, of course, you can probably imagine that this episode is heavily focused around relationships, what we can do when it comes to the longevity of a relationship or marriage, overcoming conflict. And of course, I dive into the questions around what it really takes to have a successful marriage and or relationship for such a long period of time. You know, um, Rich has been married to his current partner for nearly as long as I've been alive, you guys. And actually, for some of you listening, he may have been with his partner for as long as you've been alive or even longer. And I think that's something to be said, because if you have been in a relationship of any sort, especially if, if it's been a few years, you might have experienced some of the classic ups and downs, the difficulties, or when a relationship gets a little stagnant. You might have seen that a little bit so far. You know, I've been in a four-year relationship myself in, in a previous one where I certainly went through different relationship obstacles and difficulties that enabled me to have a better understanding of a whether it was going to be if, if that person was an ideal partner for me and number two uh, what I can do better in a future relationship and what's unique with Rich's perspective he's actually previously divorced and remarried for 20 some years now and so I think that's fascinating where we do get to touch on his realization of of that that stage in his life where he went through a divorce and also the co-parenting process and whatnot and how he transitioned to his current marriage. So for some of you guys, you might not be accustomed to listening to people who are, you know, married and have been married for nearly your age. And I think that's the thing too, is I notice a lot of in today's cultures that we get a lot of the relationship or dating advice from people that are maybe only five years older than us or 10, 15 years older than us. But the irony is that maybe they haven't even been married yet or maybe they haven't had a specific long-term relationship to be able to reflect on. And so that's why I like to take a little bit from everyone, right? So people that understand the current dating dynamics. So again, I've spoken about this before. I love to chat with an older girlfriend of mine. She's 10 years older than me and has had different experiences where she kind of shares from an older sister perspective. But then also in this conversation, I really get to hear from someone's perspective what it takes to last in a marriage for over 20 years and successfully and happily do it. So that's what I really appreciate from this conversation is that Rich was really awesome and just being openly honest and 
vulnerable about his past and current experience and even just being pretty blunt about the fact that you know there are some moments where you don't feel like showing up for your partner or you don't feel like you know showing love to your partner but there are certain habits that you have to learn how to implement to actually keep a relationship growing and flourishing and you know again over 20 years I think that's really amazing and something to be said so with that being said I know you are going to enjoy and learn a lot from this conversation so let's welcome Rich Heller to the podcast. Well, Rich, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I am very excited to touch on some deeper topics around relationships, something that I know you are very experienced in. But I would love to start with your personal journey. I know that you mentioned you were previously divorced and now successfully remarried for over 20 years. Can you share just some of that journey with us and kind of take us through that timeline? Well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me here and allowing me to be a voice in your podcast. I really appreciate it. And um, it's been a, the relationship thing is a heck of a journey. You know, the story I tell my clients is I grew up in Armageddon and they go, oh, (laughs) you know, but basically what that means is I had, I didn't have ideal models for what a loving, trusting, caring, intimate Mm. relationship could be. There was a lot of really high conflict almost on every level you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And their divorce was, you know, we didn't see much of the actual divorce, but we saw, my brother and I saw the fallout, Uh, you know, my mom, uh, I remember 10 years after my dad was dead, my mom was, was talking stuff about him. And I was like, mom, he's dead. Like what, what's, how is this helping anyone much less you? And she was like, Oh, you know, you're right. So, I mean, there's a lot of feeling there and not positive feeling. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have negative feelings, but when they linger and they linger, you know, the idea, the purpose of anger is to to move into action, not to Mm -hmm. dwell in it and roll in it endlessly. And so um, being a child from that environment, as you can imagine, I was not a relationship expert starting out in life. <laughs> and to give your listeners the short story, and I'm sorry, the short story is so long. The short story is I started out taking hostages, which means I picked women who had, I thought had a broken wing and I was going to help them fly. But mm. really what I was doing was I was grabbing them by their broken wing and sort of keeping them close because I was afraid if they found out who I really was, they would leave. And inevitably, they'd find out who I really was and they would leave. And usually they would walk out on my back, you know, rubbing crap on my head. And not that it was not deserved, but that's what those relationships, that's the flavor of that kind of relationship and when right. it's a not partnership. And eventually uh, I, I went, I got enough help so that I learned what a partnership could be and, mm-hmm. and have one today. But even that's not, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, princess kissing the frog turns into a prince happy ending for any of us it's ongoing work work you know even the prince still has warts you know uh it's or sometimes the prince re- degrades into a frog for a while or sometimes the princess turns into an ogre you know like in real life mm-hmm. even healthy strong partnerships have definitely got their challenges mm. yeah and that was the short version emily <laughs> you know that's something i love hearing reiterated, especially for the younger generation, because I notice a pattern, especially around conversations within, uh, you know, social circles, and even on social media, where sometimes I I think people assume that it's supposed to be a smooth ride, uh, especially in the early days, like they act like conflict is not supposed to happen, that different obstacles are not supposed to happen. Of course, it's I think there's a spectrum of okay, if there's there's a extreme difficulty in the beginning that may be you know, a, a little bit of a question mark, but at the same time I think it's almost like because of the today's dating culture with dating apps and the ability to kind of, you know, jump from one to the next, it's almost like people don't realize you have to put in work in order for a relationship to thrive and I like that you said that. I, I think that our culture feeds that right Uh, you know if you look at most of what's out there on screens big and small 
everybody wants to see the happy ending forever and ever anon and on. And, uh, and if you look at our politics, Mm -hmm. we're really not very good right now. We're going through a period of not so good at resolving conflict. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's either you're wrong and I'm right, or let's not talk about it. Right. (laughs) Um, And so I think that the wider culture is modeling. It's either a reflection of us or it's modeling behavior for us that isn't healthy, or it's probably both, honestly, because it's a a reflection of us and we're learning from it. So I don't think it's, you know, I I think there it's a widespread issue. And the reason why I do the work that I do is, you know, I've, I've seen it, the high conflict, I've been Mm -hmm. in relationships where there was no conflict and watched it explode. And I've been in my current marriage for 23 years where, you know, we really had to find our way and learn how to, and we're still learning how to resolve difference more and more effectively and creatively. Before we dive into the success of your 23-year marriage, do you mind sharing a little bit of of your some realizations you had from your first marriage and maybe primarily around divorce and what? No, no, no we only talk about the good stuff, remember? <laughs> it's all, all or nothing. Um, <laughs> for sure, I, I would I would be happy to because I I view the great strength of humanity is that we can turn the bad into good. Mm-hmm. that's kind of my personal experience and mission and so i will gladly share any of the dirt that i have that uh, not at the expense of anyone i've been with right you know to, if it'll help other people um so in my uh, my first marriage it was a broken wing marriage uh you know i picked someone who i i thought i could really help and mm-hmm. i couldn't um and the the I also walked into it with the belief that I was never going to get divorced. I was never going to do to my children what my mm. parents did to me. You know, I had kind, right. of a, kind of a victim thing going on. Got it. Um, so five years into that marriage, I realized that my, the mother of my children um, had a, a diagnosable mental illness that she wasn't getting help with. Mm. And I probably should have walked then, but because I was never going to do to my children what my parents did to me. And because Mm. I was, you know, going to hold the sanctity of marriage up on a pedestal and work through it. And surely I could help her. Uh, I I got a master's degree in social work while I was with her. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think unconsciously the thought was maybe I can get the tools to fix, to help her fix this wing and uh, my children suffered intensely. And mm. in the 10th year, I, re- I finally realized that it w- the problem wasn't that she was broken. The problem was that I was. Mm. And, and I got out because I wasn't being my best self or even close to my best self in that marriage. And it was really badly influencing my children. Uh, mm. and, and it wasn't, you know, I wasn't helping her any either. So in the end, I left not because she was awful or mentally ill or terrible or wasn't going to get help. It was like, oh, my God, I don't like who I am in, right. this, rela- in this relationship. I, you know, and, and I'm never going to like who I am in this relationship as long as it goes on this way. And, you know, to this day, she uh, still wrestles with that diagnosis. And um, it's and it's not my, but it's not my problem. Only right. in that only in that she's my parenting partner and I, you know, my job is to do my best to uplift her and strengthen her as my co-parent. You mentioned there kind of more of a a reflection of yourself and how you felt while you were in that relationship. In that realization, what would you say people can do better to recognize whether someone is a right partner for them? It's a really complicated question. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what's complicated about it is that we are all going through life, you know, with the lenses of our childhoods and our culture uh, on. And so just as I, I thought I had picked the perfect partner, when I met this woman, I thought she was the perfect partner for me. Mm. For, uh, she was Latina and my family's from Buenos Aires in Argentina. Yo, Argentina, going to watch the World Cup today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I thought, oh, finally, I'm embracing, you know, my my Latin culture. Uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was, you know, she was, there was so much that seemed right about it, you know, through those lenses. And there was, but there was so much that wasn't right about me. So the question really is what, cl- what glasses are we wearing when we see our perfect partner? Mm-hmm. So I think if, if the journey is to find 
I don't, I don't know about perfect partner either. That word is really dangerous. I'm right. Not, and that's why I, I avoid. I, I think I put that in, not you. Yeah. I, I usually say like the right or aligned partner, because I do believe that there are, you know, there are potential few out there, at least from from my knowledge. I don't ever believe there's one and only one. But, um, you know, I think like you mentioned, you, 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 you're like, you know, you thought you could kind of help her and, and kind of fix her in a, in a way. So I think it's kind of like, how can we catch ourselves in that, in those times that we're not actually, you know what I mean? Like that, that we're- by the way, I didn't think that consciously, you know, this is like 2020, okay. 2020 hindsight. Yeah. Like right. five years into the marriage, I realized, Oh, I'm with someone with a broken wing and I'm trying to fix it. I'm getting my master's in social degree. I'm so, uh, social work. Got it. I'm starting mm-hmm. to understand that I'm a little, I'm getting some help from right. professionals. It's like, Oh, I'm the problem, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, nobody walks into a hostage situation thinking I'm going to take a hostage. It's a very unconscious process. So my point is that we we find the people that are right for us, given the place that we're coming from. Now, whether it's healthy or not has to do with where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. And the, the basis for that, I believe, is there are four requisites for change, right? The first, if you want to move from one space to another, is you need to be willing to release anything that's in the way of your movement that we call that in my world, negative emotion or baggage, right? To move or just to, I'm going to Florida with my wife in a couple of weeks. We're going to leave a lot behind to go to Florida. Mm -hmm. We're not going to take our house and our furniture. We're only going there for a little, for a couple of, a couple of months, but you know, we're going to leave a lot of baggage behind. Number two, you need to have a strategy or an idea of where it is you want to go. Number three, you need to be willing to take action based on the on those two things. And number four, you need to be willing to adjust along the way. So, God, I can't believe I'm saying this. We tend to attract people from the place that we're coming from. So if we're coming from a place of brokenness, which I most certainly was when I met my first wife, okay. we attract people who are similarly broken. Right. If we're willing to let go of some of that baggage, the stuff that we learned in our culture, the stuff we learned from our parents, from our grandparents, mm-hmm. our great grandparents, the the neighborhood that we're in, the experiences that we have in school, if we're willing to release some of that and get clearer about what it is we really want, you know, then we'll attract someone that's better, a better fit, a better fit. That's how I want to put it. Right. So in that case, it it always comes back to you, right? Yeah. Where where you are. And and I love that because I, I've always been a advocate for you have to, again, we're always a work in progress, but I've always believed, you know, instead of jumping from one relationship to the next, observe how you are as an individual, right? Are you at a place where you want to be? Not to say that that means you have to be completely closed off to dating anyone, but I think that you have to be very mindful of where you are internally and you know if there are some things that need to be worked on along the way well wherever i go whoever i'm with mm-hmm. i'm still there and the statistics on divorce back it up 50 percent roughly of all marriages end in divorce but guess mm-hmm. what the st- statistics are on second marriages it's 70 percent right right proving that the out of the 50 percent who get divorced and remarried more than half of those blow it again Right. Uh, Like, I guess seven out of 10 people who get divorced, get divorced again, meaning that they didn't learn whatever they needed to learn about themselves in order to have Mm -hmm. that relationship work. And, And I love that you mentioned that because that's why I found it important to kind of touch on your experience from your first marriage leading into now you're you've been successfully married for over 20 years. What was that change like? You know, how did you go from that to a more successful relationship? Yeah, boy, that's a big one. I'm gonna try. <laughs> I'm gonna try and answer in sound bites here. Um, the first part was the reason I got out of that first marriage was mm-hmm. the realization that there was something not right over here. Okay. I, I had stopped. Well, let's be honest. I had reduced my blame and my criticism of my of the other parent. Um, and part of the journey of divorce was learning to really stop doing that altogether for the sake of my children and really start to focus on me. Uh, I had done a lot of, I'd done some therapy. I had done some uh, group work. Um, I had an active meditation and prayer life. You know, mm-hmm. I had learned to take better care of myself. All of those things helped me to become it sounds very narcissistic. I took about care of me, 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 me. But the truth is, if we're not charging our own battery 100%, 
we can't really operate 100% in our lives. So to right. some extent, we, um, you know, our priority when it comes to self-care, mind, body, spirit needs to be me, 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 so that then right. I can show up for you, 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 you. Mm -hmm. So I show up less needy in the relationships. So I, I did a lot of that work. And when I met my second wife, and I believe final wife, the, the jury's out, there's still time. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I continued doing those things. And, and we both had very strong, a very strong ethos that we were to develop as individuals, mm. as partners at the same time. Mm -hmm. We weren't always successful at, at those things. Sometimes we failed in one area and not the other. Some, there was a period there where we woke up and, and we were kind of like living that parallel lives thing or roommate things like, wait a minute, are you sh I'm not sure you're the person I married. You know, you wake up and you go, who, who are you? And, 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 you know, and then we needed, we, there's a decision you make when that happens. Like, am I going to work on this or am I going to, you know, spin out? But the de the decision always has been, all right, the relationship needs work. Let's work on the relationship. Or I'm struggling as an individual. I'm going to, I'm going to, or you're struggling as an individual. I'm going to help you. Or I'm struggling as an individual. You help me. There's always an awareness of that balance. Interesting. And I really like that you mentioned that, that key factor of working on yourself individually. So having that growth continue, but also the relationship as well, like having it separate, right? In a way. Yeah, well, because of, we're both remarried, so we were really careful about how mm -hmm. we commingled our funds. Mm. You know, we didn't just say, you know what, you are my true love, of, you're my true soulmate. Sorry, we oops, the first soulmate was a mistake. You know, instead, <laughs> it was, we're going to have our individual incomes and our joint account. Okay. You know, we're going to pay for our shared, our family, out of, everything shared out of the joint account. If I earn more than you you know, that means I get more play money than you as a percentage, or if you earn more than me and over 20 years, that's changed. You know, there was a time when I earned more than she did. And there's a time when she's earned more than I have. It's like, it's interesting. Right. How, what that feels like. Right. That's a whole nother show. What it means to be a man when your wife is earning the pants off of you. Another <laughs> episode, but you know, because we maintained financial and emotional boundaries. Right. Didn't and didn't cross them too often. You know, I think we made it through a lot of rough spots that we didn't make it through with our first in our first marriages. That makes me really curious, then. What would you say are the top two reasons you attribute to having a successful marriage this time and for this length of time? Right. It's 23 years, which is, um, you know, a very long time. And, and I always and I've always said this to my friends, especially in recent conversations. I think there's something to be said about people who are able to stay connected and attuned to one another for that for that long right almost as long as i've been alive which i think is just which which is again i'm i'm very adamant about learning from people's realizations over that period of time because oftentimes i've noticed there are maybe common denominators among people who have been in that length of a relationship what they kind of say they attribute to success of that as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba. 
I would say the two things that I attribute our success to are number one, we've pretty much always had a shared vision for our lives. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but even before that, that's, I mean, I want to say, oh, it was love. Love conquers all. <laughs> but the truth is that it's a partnership and partnerships are built on uh, both people have their individual strengths and skills and they have their shared vision. And that's yep. the beautiful thing about partnerships is you can, when you have bring their synergy in that kind of relationship. Yes. So even though I want to say love was on top, that shared vision was, is, has been, and is really vitally and important. And as our mm -hmm. children grew up, we had to re, you know, the original shared vision is, wow, we got to help each other and these kids through this, these other parents that we don't like so much. Right. You know, we we got to be the strengths that the other parent, we feel the other parents aren't bringing here right. uh, to these children without being more than a, a step parent. And that's, we've got a bunch of shows on step parenting over at Richard Relationship. If you want to learn more about that coming up. Uh, and, you know, then when they grew up, there was, okay, now what's, what's our role? Our role is, is changed, expanding and growing. Still mm -hmm. the same vision, but expanded. And then the second part is about love, but it's not what you think, right? Like we, when you meet, you fall in love, it's all gushy and wonderful. And you are, you feel like more than who you ever thought of yourself in the presence of the other person, because they see all your potential and you freaking bask in it and mm -hmm. vice versa, right? But that's a two or three year deal, says the studies, right? Mm -hmm. We all, everyone falls out of love, period, the end. Mm -hmm. So love now becomes a muscle. Mm -hmm. That means instead of sometimes, you know, you're, you're not feeling it, but you know that you love that person, that you're, you're going through a tough time in your marriage, but you've got this shared vision. You're uh, in, in my spiritual group circles, we call it, you're in the valley. Mm. but you've got the shared vision of the mountaintop and mm. you know, you're in the Valley and maybe it's like kind of a bog and it's, there's like insects and strange animals and it's not feeling too good. That's right. when you exercise your love muscle. Hey baby, you know what? I know we're in a tough place together, but I love you. And we have this mountaintop we're going to. And even though I, I, I I'm feeling a little triggered and I want to emotionally, you know, kick your ass or whatever's right. going on. Right. It could happen on either side. I'm not, I'm going to put that, on the side here, I'm going to focus on building you up and building our relationship up. That's exercising your love muscle. So right. exercising your love muscle is even though I've got some negative self-talk going on, even though I've got some feelings I'm not too proud of and that mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to air out on a podcast, mm -hmm. I'm going to be there for you anyway. You know, right. and, and that's it goes back to if your battery isn't 100 percent, when you're triggered, you're, when I, my battery, forget you, when my battery is 100 percent and I'm triggered, stuff comes out of my mouth that I can never take back. Right. When my battery is 100% and I'm triggered, I can go, maybe I'm going to go for a, a walk or maybe I'm going to go to the bathroom or mm -hmm. maybe I'm going to do some, some deep breathing in the bathroom, a little meditation, maybe a prayer until I can be strong in your presence again. You know, that, yeah. that's what being 100% is about is when you're in the valley and stuff is about to come out that you're, you can never take back. That's when you want to be 100% right there. Mm. So those are the two things that have really worked in our marriage is, you know, we have a shared mountain that we're going to, and uh, we take good care of ourselves as individually. And we make sure that each one is taking good care of themselves too. Like I mm -hmm. super support her. She's got a practice. She rides. It is not convenient for me. It's mm -hmm. expensive. She's self-supporting in it. I want to be clear, but it's expensive. A little scary for me financially. It demands a hell of a lot of time. Mm -hmm. She wants me to show up for her in it, which isn't a lot of fun for me sometimes, but it's really important to her. It keeps her fit. It's the way she charges her batteries. And so as her partner, I show up. And sometimes I don't want to be there and I suck it up and I show up because I know it's what's, that's my love muscle. I know it's what's best for her. So love muscle would you say in layman's terms that's kind of just saying like you you show up and you choose to love that person you choose to act as if you love them even okay if even if you're not feeling it okay okay you're feeling but, like oh man i'm at another horse show right I'm, I'm cleaning horse poop out of the stalls which isn't what I, my dream in life you know i think nobody else is there and she needs someone to do it for her while she does whatever nothing like scooping horse poop, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I love her and I know this is going to help her dream. And so I'm going to be her for her in this way. And I'm going to set aside the fact that I don't love scooping poop and the fact that I'd rather be doing my own podcast or whatever. Right. Right. And I'm going to show, I'm going to exercise that love muscle. I'm going to act as if, even though I don't love this moment. You know? Right. And when I'm done, it's like washing the dishes. Right. right? 
we don't like washing the dishes. We love the way the kitchen looks afterwards. After I do show up for her, I love the way it looks afterwards. She feels cared for. And she knows I don't love it. Knows that I'm exercising my love muscle and appreciates it. Wow. Okay. Ooh, those are definitely. And she does that for me as well. Mm -hmm. I went on for a three week training in neuro-linguistic programming in Arizona. And she was like, I don't want you to go. I don't want to do the things that you do for the house while you're gone. You know, mm. I don't, I don't want you. I'm going to miss you. Mm. Uh, it's going to be awful for us. She said, but I know you need to do this. I know you need this information that it's going to help you grow individually and professionally. And so I bless it. Mm. And while I was gone, she said, I'm really mad at you. She would say on the calls, I say, I, and I would say, I know, I don't blame you, you know, mm. but she, but she exercised her love muscle and blessed that. Wow. Me. When I came back, she, you know, she gave me a big hug and she said, I was really pissed at you. And I said, yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. Wow, but but and the, I thanked and I thanked her. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. two sided, right? And I'll throw something else in there if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the bad news about that scenario: is none of us likes change. Mm-hmm. We want the. It goes back to I want the happy ending forever and ever. Right. Amen. But if you're both growing as individuals and changing, mm-hmm. that means the relationship is constantly changing, also. Mm-hmm. And that's scary mm-hmm. a, a major change um I, i'm i spiritually identified as a christian beginning about uh, well it goes way back but i came out like about five or six years ago not mm-hmm. religious not so much religiously but that's very scary for my wife who's mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. and it took a long time for her to figure out that that didn't mean I was going to bomb, go bomb abortion clinics and that I was going to become a, you know, that really my, my ethics were still the same. You mm-hmm. know, that my, just my spiritual focus was a little different. And mm-hmm. that was like, that was a big change. And yet, you know, here we are five years later and it's good. Would you say what has kept the, some of the changes not too dra- not feeling drastic is still having that shared vision? Yes, very much so. Okay. And part of yeah. and part of uh, the transition for her was her getting that I st- that though the frame had changed slightly in terms of who I wanted to model my life after. This is really it's really about who are your heroes. When I right. see I identify as, it's like it's really I had chosen someone who was living in a way that I thought was the difference maker in the world. You know, I'm not talking about turning water into wine, though. That's not a bad trick. I'm talking about treating people with compassion. And, um, you know, this is this is a guy when you look at his life who who uh, hung out with prostitutes and like he had no stuff about class. Um, You know, he didn't really like the people who were who were mad successful and hypocrites. Like I'm talking about that stuff. You know, once she figured out it was about that, it's like, yeah, you know what? I want to help people who are less privileged or have less advantage. You know, I want to show up as a caring human being. She saw, oh, we're still going to the same mountaintop because that resonated. She was afraid that it meant that I was going to be voting differently or that I was, you know, that I was going to be telling women how to use their bodies, you know, (laughs) and she realized that it wasn't a political position. It It was a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that too, because I think that is so important, a slight tangent, but just it is so important to indicate that it, it comes back to the the values that you align, maybe in that case, like, right, like you aligned in, in terms of values and ethics with that new, uh, I guess, adaption into your life, right? It wasn't necessarily such a black and white thing where people automatically assume, oh, it means you're XYZ now because you suddenly decided to bring that into your life. And on the other side, she got to look at a lot of preconceptions she had about people who identify the way that I do and realize right. that on the spectrum of people who identify that way, there are people who we see in the news all the time yeah. you know, who have who show up as kind of destructive and wanting to impose their will on others. And then there's people on the other end, you know, who aren't about politics, who are more about a way of life. And then there's a, yeah. everything in the middle. So yeah. it, it helped. It actually helped her to let go of some of her like some of that judgment and judgment mm-hmm. is really can be really uh, limiting in life. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the thing is we change, throwing out our experience personally. Mm-hmm. As individuals, we're changing and growing. And every time that happens, we get to look at, all right, what's my judgment? What am I up against here? What does that change? Why is that change scary? Mm-hmm. What could be good about it? You know, right. What can I learn from it? That's, that's, 
you know, and I'm going to, you know, it's, it's having that kind of relationship that's dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's risky. It's scary. It's also exciting and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much opportunity when both people are growing and changing and the relationship is growing and changing. And there's always the possibility that one day you'll wake up and find out that you're divergent. Right. And then the, the question is, are we forever divergent or is it more like a dance where we come apart and come together? And I would argue that relationship is probably more like that. You know, we like yeah. to think of it as as this. We're permanently intertwined. Yeah. Two hearts is one. It's what I have on my wedding ring. Two hearts is one, one mind. But in reality, you know, I think we grow apart and come together. And some people grow apart and they just say, screw this. And they keep growing apart, you know. Right, right. Besides some of those inevitable changes, what would you say are or tends to be the common difficulties for couples that that arise over long-term relationships, let's say like after five years, this could be from your experience as well, from clients as well. What are some common difficulties? There are two negative challenges for all partnerships. Mm. They, they all, the whole core is how do we handle and resolve difference? Right. You know, which is kind of the, the, what I shared with you about our journey. That, well, oh my God, my husband's different. Oh, but he's not right. so different, right? Um, so there's the two tendencies in our society, just look at politics, is when we fight, we fight tooth and nail. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm the winner. You're the loser. No matter what you say, I'm going to kill you. Right. Mm-hmm. That's super toxic, negative conflict. Mm-hmm. It's blame driven, uh, anger driven conflict. And like we see it all over the place right now. People marching protesting with freaking M16s on their, you know, on their hips. That's, that is insane. Who do these people think they're shooting? I know they're standing up for their right to bear arms, but like, it's just terrifying. Mm -hmm. All right. You know, and I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm all for the right to bear arms, but this thing where you march in the streets with an M16, that's Mm -hmm. just a little too, something's not right. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there's the other kind of thing where, you know what? Conflict is bad. So we're not going to have it. Mm. All right. And you can do that for a long time where you just dance around. You know what? We don't agree. Uh, we don't agree about religion. So I'm going to have mine. You're going to have yours. And we're just not going to talk about it. I actually know a lot of couples who have uh, different faiths or one is an, agno- an atheist and the other one's religious in some way. Right. You know, um, and they just like, you know, we're just not going to talk about it. I'm going to go to my synagogue, mosque, whatever, uh, ashram, you know, whatever you got mm. going on. The other one's just like, I can't believe they do that crap but that's their crap. Mm. Right? But the problem with that is there's no opportunity for to explore where the shared territory is. Mm. And the differences become greater and greater. And eventually those conflict avoidant relationships explode. Uh, somebody has sex with somebody else, which in that context, it isn't always bad, by the way. Some couples have an agreement that that's okay. But, right. You know, do something that's a breach of the agreement. They have sex with somebody else. I'm just going to identify the typicals. If you if this is good in your marriage, you're good with sex in your marriage, that's okay. I'm just saying this is typically what does it. You know, they, they're they not monogamous. They spend money uh, very in a way without talking to their partner that threatens the stability of the family. Um, they start traveling in circles or groups of people that the other person just absolutely finds abhorrent, Some something that appears like a breach of trust. And then mm-hmm. the whole thing explodes even bigger. So it's mm-hmm. a, it, the, the whole challenge is difference. How do we resolve difference? And mm-hmm. those are the two styles. I read somewhere, actually, it's interesting, in a book last year, something, it was, I, I can't quote it, but it was something along the lines of how success in in relationships is really comes down to the the tasteful way we navigate the differences it was something around that and i find it ironic that you mentioned that here as well in in that it it really comes comes down to how you're navigating and resolving conflict right or not or not right right um, you know i mean i think the reason why uh, the democrats and republicans are so polarized is they seem to have lost the ability to navigate conflict Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's a mirror of what we're doing in our homes. Mm-hmm. And so the the real talent is navigating difference or conflict creatively and constructively. Like, and, and that is here's the here's the amazing thing. Nothing new. Ever was created without difference. Mm-hmm. Ever. Mm hmm. Right. Because if everything's the same, nothing new can be created. 
Right. Everything's the same. Everything new comes out of difference. So for someone who experiences conflict, whether it's in a romantic relationship or maybe just even in in r- friendships and, and outside relationships, what would you say is the number one piece of advice you would have or or technique or communication skill improvement? What what would what what would you pinpoint it on? Well, it's funny, the 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 three basic legs of intimacy that we work with with couples here really apply to everything in mm-hmm. for intimacy, right? Intimacy right. is where you feel safe and it's where you feel um, like you're being nurtured or cared for or that you're with family or whatever, whatever warm words help frame that. And let's be really clear, you know, words are just labels. So all of those words mean something. So some people, family doesn't mean warm and fuzzy. So what I'm saying mm-hmm. is intimacy, think of intimacy as warm, fuzzy, caring, one-to-one relationship that's based on three things. And I think that applies to everything. So the first is caring communication. Mm-hmm. We can have all kinds of communication, but when we come from a place of really caring about the other person, yeah, right, th- that kind of communication is going to be really different than an intellectual conversation or an angry conversation or a challenging, or sometimes, like, sometimes caring can show up as challenging, but in this context, caring communication would be, if you're going to be challenging, it's in the gentlest, most sugar-coated, easy-to-receive way possible. There's some people who would maintain that tough love is a form of caring, and it might be, but I'm not talking about tough love here. Right. I'm talking about stuff that is really easy to, to swallow. Uh, caring communication. The second would be trust. And to some extent, that trust is built in the way we communicate. Right. Uh, I know that I can trust Emily Elizabeth because we've had conversations before and she's mm-hmm. always been caring with me. She's always been respectful of my point of view. She's always been you've been you've been very consistent in our conversations. And so mm-hmm. we've established a level of trust. Right. And then the third thing is and this is the big one is empathy and empathy mm-hmm. is that emotional connection between two people. And here's the funny thing about empathy. We live in a culture that emphasizes how important it is to always be winning and always be on top and always feel good. Mm -hmm. And we really diminish being like being a victim. We don't do that in the U.S. of A. This culture in our country is built very much on we are the big dog and big dogs are not victims. And Mm -hmm. we have sayings like when the going gets tough, the tough get going, fall off a horse, get back on it and stuff like that. But empathy is actually built on knowing sadness, on knowing hurt, on knowing fear, mm-hmm. uh, on knowing these negative emotions that we kind of try to stuff and repress and put away because our wider culture tells us these are not helpful. But the mm-hmm. truth is the only way that we can really build connection with people is when we know our hurt, when we know our fear, when we know our sadness, you know, that's when, and I see it in you. I go, oh my God, Emily's just like me. You know, <laughs> I, like no matter, the, even though she's a woman, even though she's in her 20s, even though she's got a cult, different cultural background or is on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast or whatever it is, even though she wears pink lipstick and I like black lipstick, whatever <laughs> it is, you know, the, mm-hmm. I, I, oh, we have shared pain. That's what empathy is about. Mm-hmm. And so it's that shared pain. It's the seeing the pain in other people. I told you the success in my marriage has been when the other person's falling off the horse, be, you know, mm-hmm. part of it is being there for them. I, I guess I'm stuck on the horse metaphor because of my wife's thing. You know, part of it is, oh, you know what, honey? Wow, that, that stinks that you didn't get that client. That stinks that that person uh, quit. That stinks that your mom said that. Wow, mm-hmm. that's so painful. I hurt with you. I hurt yeah. with you. That's without that, the other two things are useless. And culturally, you know, I firmly believe that if we practice empathy, trust, and caring communication, mm-hmm. we change the balance of the whole, it, it, maybe the whole world. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that those three, especially caring communication and empathy, uh, I have, I would say, in a way, like, increased or improved in that because of my practice of mindfulness, as I mentioned from our last conversation over the past probably six months. And I noticed drastically how I I am 
naturally more patient with people and and in a very good way you know there obviously some people might fear like oh i don't want to get walked over that kind of thing but it's it's a very different way of seeing things because i think as a former athlete and a competitive athlete i i think i used to have that mentality of you know a little bit of like that that big dog and and i i would would it would take a lot out of me to to jump into empathy when it came to relationships and so for me i can say personally that has been a game changer for caring communication and um empathy and compassion especially for your partner and for friends you know it's 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 in a way i read in mindfulness that it's kind of like seeing that everyone still has that inner child in them and recognizing that sometimes in that moment they didn't know any better and mm-hmm. kind of giving them compassion and empathy for that. So I think it's very interesting that you mentioned that as well. Yeah. Well, it's the deal breaker in my marriage mm. is empathy. Wow. If I'm, not, if I'm not feeling empathetic, that's when I accidentally even, you know, walk on my wife's feelings and right. she's triggered. But if I'm feeling empathy and I step on her toes, I see it. I feel it. Because like when I'm in empathy, I'm connected to her. Okay. Last two questions. Uh, first one, book recommendation. Anything that you have that you feel like would uh, bring some wisdom to to the listeners? The most formative book for me personally, when I was in that marriage that I was not helping mm-hmm. any, mm-hmm. was Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. Hmm. which is like a classic. Um, And she described this way of behaving of trying to control other people by helping them. Hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is me. Hmm. Um, And and that book was, is unbelievably transformative. I mean, just, you know, if you, if you're wondering what kind of relationship you have, it's totally worth reading. A book that's been really key. And I debate sometimes whether I should recommend it is, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, uh-huh. right? And like you, most people think, oh, that's like an entrepreneur's book. But he, what Napoleon Hill identifies, he he draws these principles from other sources that I will spare you because mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of time. Um, I did a lot of research into Napoleon Hill at one point in my life. And I read, I read that book maybe six times. Mm. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. He basically identifies um, how to... I create a goal and move towards it. And uh, what, what are the, what's the environment we need to create to make mm. change within ourselves, mm. which I think is, applies to business, but I think it applies to everything. Yeah. And then there's one more. Um, the power of Ted outlines the victim abuser rescuer triangle. There's a triangle mm-hmm. there when we're feeling like a victim or feeling like an abuser, or we think we're helping people. That's the codependency mm-hmm. thing. We're mm-hmm. in that position. There's a, it, that dynamic is maintained. Even, even when we think we're rescuing people, we're maintaining an unhealthy dynamic. And in the power of Ted, the author whose name eludes me at this point um, shows an alternative, you know, for, mm-hmm. for that, how you can step out of that dynamic. Last question. And it's something I ask everyone on the show. But what would you say fulfills you in life? What fulfills me is that I am, today I live a purpose and mission driven life. Mm -hmm. I am crystal clear that my purpose is to help parents in all situations to have joyful and resilient relationships so that their children are always front and center and have a joyful and resilient future. I'm crystal clear about this. And so all my work is focused on this. All my work is focused, I I almost exclusively work with parents. Every now and then I get an outlier Mm -hmm. for some reason. And it usually has to do with it. It taps that sense of purpose and mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's incredibly fulfilling to me because it's healing the wounds of my childhood. It's making good of the bad. And it's making a difference in the wider ecology in the world. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so in a way that has meaning for me and for the world. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. It's about making impact, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, for it, when I think about Mother Teresa, I used to think about this woman who gave up everything to go help people. But the truth mm-hmm. is, Mother Teresa really loved what she did. Mm-hmm. So we can't really be making a difference. I was once the champion of sustainability. Mm-hmm. 
like I had a whole business that successfully altered the way people interacted with their rooftops and their landscapes. And mm-hmm. it was sustainably based and it was, it was mad successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, built more square footage of green roofs than anyone in New York. I think still to date, I think we still hold that like acres of green roofs, mm. but it wasn't personally fulfilling. It was a great mission, right? but it wasn't personally fulfilling. It was kind of mm. like, I thought, well, Mother Teresa did this for people and I can do this for people. But the reason why this thing is more personally fulfilling is it resonates with me yep. personally in a way that sustainability didn't. I still stand for that. I still believe in that. Yeah. It's just not as fulfilling. Could not agree more. It, we we can feel that in our in our gut. I would say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rich, for joining me on the show. Where can everyone learn more about your podcast and where else they can find you? They can find everything on our website, which is richinrelationship.com. You can email me if you want. If you have questions, feel free to reach out. Which is rich at that website, richinrelationship.com. And you can find our podcast there and our video blog. All the resources are there. Amazing. Well, I will definitely link that in the show notes and they'll be able to find you and then definitely check it all out. And that was all for today's episode. I really hope you found some value in this conversation and hopefully took some notes so you could remind yourself. If you did enjoy this episode, please be sure to rate and review the podcast either on Apple or Spotify. It really means the world to me to just take 30 seconds to give it a quick rating and review. And as always, if you have feedback or suggestions, please feel free to message me on Instagram at what fulfills you or my personal one at Emily E. Duong. You guys know I love chatting with you all. This community is amazing and I truly am so grateful for the continuous support. Thanks again for tuning in today. I would chat with you all in the next episode. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.